Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Wrong Think Radio. I'm your host, Aaron, broadcasting from just outside the nation's capital in beautiful Northern Virginia. And I'm Alan, coming to you from the lovely and overcast greater Seattle metropolitan area. And this is Wrong Think Radio, sir, to our live show that we bring you guys every single week to give you our facts and analysis of what's going on in the world, what's happening in the news, trying to break through the propaganda, trying to break through all of the different fed ops and everything else that's going on so you can get to the truth and understand what's really happening in your country Mm. and in the world. And of course... There's always a lot going on, um, but, you know, it's once again, it's another week of us getting completely beat over the head with, uh, well, propaganda, but a lot of interesting things occurring like yesterday. Uh, I would say one of the one of the bigger things that I was seeing on social media was that all of these pro-Palestinian protesters stormed the White House. In fact, oh some word. of them made it over the gates and things like that. And so that's oh the, uh, well, and yeah, I mean, it's funny because I saw a lot of people scream that this was, of course, an insurrection, right? Because if a bunch of grandmas going into the Capitol was an insurrection, this one must obviously be an insurrection, especially obviously. because it's against a Democrat president. You know, I mean, but nothing's going to happen. These people aren't going to be punished and don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not the same thing. People trying to rush into the White House is not the same as people going into, you know, the people's house, uh, as it is called. Uh, It's not the same thing. uh, But, you know, it's interesting Hmm. because as we have titled this program, number one, uh, we've talked a lot about kind of what's annoying on the right wing side of things and reactions from certain people and how it seems kind of, you know, opposite of what we had heard before and all that. But the reality is there's something even bigger and more crazy happening. And that is the massive schism that's occurring on the progressive movement. There's an all out war happening. And I think, honestly, a lot of right-wingers are being distracted by the internecine fighting amongst one another to actually see what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, on one side of this war on the progressive movement, you have the activist class. And there is a nation of oppressed brown people. And they must be stood up for. Now... What's revelatory of this is how, what's a good way to say it? There's no logic that actually goes into any of the support that happens uh, with the poor oppressed brown people, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's any of this, right? Anti-colonialism, you know, the the First Nations people, any of this nonsense that progressives Mm -hmm. get involved in, that these activists get involved in. They don't ever actually care to know anything about anything. What they see is poor, oppressed brown person must defend. And let me let me explain what I mean by that. And I don't mean that it's like, oh, well, gosh, if only they knew the real history, they wouldn't support the Palestinians. That's not what I mean. What I mean by that is you've everybody has probably seen the hilarious signs that are held up like gays for Palestine course that only exists in america (laughs) that is how dumb the activist class is in the democrat party like it makes 
That is how memed and stupid these people are. And it's because, I mean, it's one thing for people to point at maybe certain countries in the Middle East that might not necessarily have policies against homosexuality. But groups like Hamas do. Most of these terrorist organizations, which they are, are very fundamentalist. So it just shows how dumb and easily tricked these leftists are. But they have also been so empowered over the last 10 to 12 years or more because they were such a useful tool, especially in reality, they were supposed to be useful for going up against white Americans. That was the entire point of these groups. The entire point of these groups were to basically beat white, primarily male Americans over the head to shame them, to get them pushed out of the conversation and to basically push the conversation towards making everybody feel bad about whatever past past problems or issues that had occurred, basically blood libel for lack of a better term. And it was just to force the conversation into basically communism. So take black lives matter. The whole point of black lives matter was all white people are racist. White people created a racist police state. uh, And because of that, now all of these, you know, you should feel your white guilt and you should vote for, uh, you should vote for not only one, you should always vote for the Brown candidate. So it doesn't matter how qualified they are whatsoever. Just support them because that, that, that will wash away your original sin of the racisms. If you vote Mm. for the Brown candidate or definitely, at a minimum, vote for the person who's going to do, quote, criminal justice reform. In other words, they're going to let criminals run rampant and do bail reform and all of that, which we're, of course, seeing the uh, fruits of that labor <laughs> in a lot of major cities, right? right. So that was right. really the foundation of a lot of it. But unfortunately, it grew its own legs, and now it's walking around because... It was anti-colonialism. In reality, anti-colonialism isn't being against all colonialism. It's being against white colonialism. Right. It's just a fancy way to say we hate Europeans and we want them to suffer. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. But now we have a problem. And that's the problem is you have that entire activist class, which was being well-funded. It was receiving because, I mean, to be honest, it was exceedingly effective So it was being extremely well-funded by a lot of Democrat donors and by a lot of uh, rich rich progressives were funding these types of groups, whether it be Black Lives Matter or uh, what is it, American Bridge, 21st Century. Like all of these different activist groups were getting millions and millions and millions of dollars from rich progressives. Mm -hmm. But then you have the other side of a coin, which is the most Jewish administration in history being the Biden administration. That is yeah. that is something that they have celebrated. They are the most Jewish administration in American history. Right. And with the mm-hmm. essentially the highest uh, the highest percentage of Jews inside the cabinet and inside the administration. Yes. Just in various positions all across all across the board. And remember that the big push, especially in 2020 or leading up to 2020, is 
everybody on the right was a neo-Nazi and therefore a massive anti-Semite. And so white nationalists. Yeah. I mean, scary, scary white nationalists. Remember Joe Biden claims that the whole reason why he decided to run for president was because he saw Charlottesville and he heard what Trump said when he said there were good people on both sides. And that's when he decided he had to save the country from hate. Right. That was that was the entire that's, that, was, that's that was the entire predicate that Joe Biden used for this is when I, well, that, is, that is when he decided that he was going to make the moral sacrifice of becoming the <laughs> president of the United States. Now, Thank God bless him for that. So you have all of these other people in the Democrat Party that obviously want to support Israel. And a lot of this is because you have members of Congress on both sides of the aisle that are, that are either Jewish and therefore have a lot of times familial uh, connections to Israel. They have a cultural connection to Israel an ethnic one. And sometimes they even have their own citizenship. That is a real thing. Uh, you're not allowed to talk about it, but there are dual citizens in Congress, not just for Israel, but there's more for Israel, to be completely honest. So you have a lot of Democrats that have a Jewish identity, and they see that Jewish identity expressed in the nation of Israel. So yeah. the problem is, though, is those same Democrats have supported all of these activists the entire time. And that is kind of strange. Like, why would you? Why would you, if you were Jewish, why mm-hmm. would you be? Why would you support a movement that was aimed at freeing Palestine? Well, that's. <laughs> it's one of those when the weapon was being aimed at the people you wanted it aimed at. You were just kind of like, well, that's a little silly, but like, who cares? Well, and and understand, I'm not saying it's every Jewish progressive is against the free Palestine movement. He who should not mm-hmm. be named, lest we be accused of anti-Semitism, is funding these uh, free Palestine protests, that being George oh. Soros. Oh, George Soros has funded a lot of these groups. Now, remember, if you bring up that George Soros is funding something, it's anti-Semitism. According to the ADL, the Southern Poverty Law Center, anybody who brings up George Soros funding anything is immediately anti-Semitic because George Soros is Jewish. But at the same time, George, it's it's anti-Semitic to tell people what George Soros is funding, but it's also anti-Semitic to fund Free Palestine movement. So I don't really like. Uh, how does that work? <laughs> so. George Soros is an anti-Semitic Jew, I guess. I guess. Uh, Or George Soros saw that he can gain more power and prestige by supporting this free Palestine movement because it would be a cudgel to use against his enemies. Because he also can resort to, like, notice at the same time, George Soros will hide behind any criticism of me as anti-Semitism, but also... 
I support Palestine. And the, the one common denominator on both of those things is it is a cudgel to be used against the heritage populations of Europe and the United States. Well, and see, and, and there you go. That's a lead into what's really happening here. So you're going to, like, I've, I've seen it a lot, and, and it's been very obnoxious <laughs> to watch. <laughs> it's been very obnoxious to see a lot of the low IQ arguments. Are there a lot yes. of Jewish Americans that support the Free Palestine Movement? Yes. Yes, yeah. there absolutely are. I've seen a lot of people claim not a single person in this protest is Jewish. Anybody who says that they are, is, no, it's it, that's not true. There are, all right, just to remind everybody, in 2016, well, maybe it was, anyway, historically, we'll say it this way, 70% of Jewish Americans vote Democrat. Those right. numbers have been a little bit fungible back and forth, but it's remained high 60s to 70% of Jewish Americans support Democrats. On top of that, mm -hmm. a lot, a, a very high percentage of Jewish Americans are progressive. So, right. It, and it stands to reason that a lot of progressives, Jewish or not, see the, have been, fr have framed the, Con the conflict between Israel and Palestine as oppressed versus oppressor. And well, in their and, mind, or mm -hmm. in the in the way they frame it, is the Palestinians are being oppressed by the state, the Western-backed state of Israel. Again, a lot of this goes back to when they look at the United States and sort of the global American empire. They say, well, anybody that the American government is fighting against clearly are the oppressed, and we need to support them. And they look at the Palestinians and say, well... They are being oppressed by the American government-backed government of Israel, state of Israel. So we are going to side with the Palestinians because we always side with the oppressed against the oppressor. Because at the end of the day, we're all the resistance in Star Wars. <laughs> well, and at the same time, too, <clears throat> you have to remember there's one big fundamental no-no that cannot exist. Mm -hmm. And this didn't get – because it, it's hard to communicate hypocrisy. Unless you want to be just mm. super blatant about it. And that is, what is the, and, and maybe you'll get this, maybe you won't, but what is the one biggest threat to globalism in its entirety, which all pro, all progressives want globalism, what is the single biggest ideal that threatens globalism? Nationalism. Nationalism. So, do you think that... Jewish Americans that are progressives or progressives in general, do you think they support nationalism? Of course not. So does that mean that they support Zionism? No, because Zionism is very fierce nationalism, a Jewish homeland. Right. And mm -hmm. therefore, it stands to reason, if someone's a progressive, they don't support Zionism. Now, don't misunderstand, right. they'll support it up to the point of as long as they get to say that, as long as they get to use the argument for oppression. Anytime they can weaponize the ethnicity for oppression, they will, but they'll stop at the point that it becomes nationalist. That's where the break is. Right. Is it's like Israel, you know, people being mad about Israel, for example certain people on the right that just 
do not like the idea that basically Israel's an ethno state. That's how a lot of them see it is, well, I mean, let's be honest, guys. Any criticism of Israel becomes anti-Semitism, which means it's an ethno state. And then, you know, the progressives will get mad at people saying it and they'll call it anti-Semitic and they'll call any argument against Israel anti-Semitic up to. Yeah. And oftentimes usually we'll use the, the argument of, well, Arabs live in Israel, too. Arabs can be citizens. There are Arab members of the Jewish Knesset, which is all true. However, to look at Israel and not think of it and as a ethno state, I think is very disingenuous. The, well, the national language is Hebrew. It's like they celebrate all these Jewish holidays. And especially any criticism of Israel is always called anti-Semitic. Right. And if it was not an ethnostate, then that wouldn't hold any weight. But it seems to, which makes me feel like even if Israel is not on paper an ethnostate, it is de facto considered an ethnostate by Jews themselves. Right. And... That's always good for progressives to weaponize when they're fighting against their enemy. But then when it starts to become more nationalist, which, for example, like a lot of this push into Gaza is a very, let's be honest, a very nationalist movement. It is the idea of basically taking back what was theirs to begin with. Like Gaza should never have belonged to the Palestinians. It's always been part of the. I mean, let's just be honest. The two state solution in the view of a nationalist mm -hmm. Israeli is them ceding their land to Arabs. Because they claim mm -hmm. all of Israel. Of course. Yeah. And so so they see Netanyahu in a lot of ways as a nationalist. I mean, remember, he's he is sold by most media outlets as being fiercely right wing. They were trying I mean there were right. there was basically a coup going on in Israel right before this attack occurred. Uh, there were judicial reforms that were occurring within Israel that were very unpopular with certain groups in Israel and in the West. And uh, there, I mean, there were so many, uh, they, they've gone after Netanyahu a lot. Uh, they tried to, you know, there was a scandal. They tried to unseat him. And then there were all of these protests that were occurring now. And I mean, look, I'm not suggesting a conspiracy here, but the terrorist attack against Israel did put a lot of things to bed. So, uh, because like there were people that were suspecting the potential of a civil war occurring in Israel because of some of these reforms right. that were happening. So the point is well, that to look at these mm -hmm. events and there is absolutely the current events have been beneficial to the political stability of the Netanyahu government. Yeah. Which any, anyone, it sounds, uh, Cynical to say it this way, but that is just the reality of politics. Tragedy does serve politicians well. Even unpopular politicians are served well by tragedy. A really good example of that would be George W. Bush would not have been really a blip on a presidential radar if September 11th didn't happen. Right. He probably wouldn't have been much of anything worth a comment may not have even lasted more than four years like his daddy, but who knows, you know, that's, we can only guess, but honestly, he didn't really have that much going for him. And then September 11th occurred. So tragedy is, is very much a, uh, an economy within politics. 
But the point Certain that I'm point. the yeah. kind of point that I'm driving at here is if you think that progressives are if you think that there's a large amount of progressives that are pro-Israel, you're sadly mistaken. Now there's a lot of confusion because remember, Jews are a put upon minority that are attacked by these quote neo-Nazi right-wingers that are somewhere. They exist somewhere. I I personally haven't met them, but they you know, there's a huge amount of them. It's very scary. White supremacy is the number one terror threat in the United States after all. Um so there's that concern, but Palestine are the oppressed brown people. And so the progressive movement doesn't know what to do with its hands. Mm. True. And this is the because lower... Because on one hand... Mm-hmm. Go on. I was going to say, well, so the... On one hand, you have... They have to support Israel because that's where the money and power of the Western political class lies. Right. So Israel gets supported by the people at the top, like the Hillary Clintons of the world, the Joe Bidens of the world, the BlackRock, World Economic Forum, like the major power brokers that that hold serious power and influence in the Western world all support Israel. Right. The progressive movement, because it it fetishizes oppressor versus oppressed as its way to divide and conquer, uh, can't alienate it, is basically now in this conflict where it has to both simultaneously pay lip service to its whole diversity, inclusion, support every oppressed minority nonsense, because that's the basis of its domestic power in Western countries. But at the same time, the overwhelming over political structure has to, is supporting Israel. And they're in this odd conundrum where they are trying to do both at the same time. And it's causing this interesting set of conflicts between and sort of cognitive dissonance between their actions and their words. Oh, no, it's 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 absolutely hilarious because there was a message that came out from the White House that pissed a lot of people off. And I thought it was funny because it was not shocking to me at all, where it was like, hey, we stand with Israel. We totally stand with Israel, but also we're worried about Islamophobia. Yeah. Israel status stood with Islamophobia status also hated. And it's like, well, wait, where is all this Islamophobia supposed to be? supposedly coming from is it coming from from jews who are now angry about the attack on hamas because that really flips the narrative well and like i can't imagine a bunch of right wingers are out there because like you know what i hate i hate the dang hamas so much because they're picking on our jewish brethren who i also hate because they control the banks like (laughs) they're the 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 comical white supremacists that they paint as their number one em- their number one enemy they've told us that guy hates the Jews and is a right. neo-Nazi <laughs> and that guy also is now going to hate brown people and just be well I just hate everybody okay and that person is since that person's fictitious they have to try harder and harder and harder to sell this fictitious person that is increasingly making no sense based on what we're seeing Right. So there's this worry of this um, outcropping of Islamophobia that's going to come, right? But who mm-hmm. who's it going to come from? Because if right. you're the quote-unquote neo-Nazi that hates the Jews the most, then you're probably pro-Hamas. So it's not going to come from are. the it's not going to come from the neo-Nazis. So who 
Who is yeah. it going to come from? Well, obviously, obviously this. So it, it, it's going to be coming from Jewish people. That's where. And, and what's funny about it is the reaction to that statement, which is a dumb statement because it's just placating nonsense. But the reaction to that statement very much gave the game away. Jewish groups were so pissed off that the Biden administration mentioned Islamophobia as being a concern, which is so weird because they always do that. It was normal progressive shit. But there are Jewish groups that are like, well, not this time, though, because if you're wor- like basically there's two ways to take like we know what the reality is. The reality was is, is that they looked at it and they're like, stop placating these free Palestine assholes in the Democrat party. That That's what the Jewish groups were mad about was do not give any time or any attention to the free Palestine assholes in the Democrat party. That was what the Jewish groups were actually concerned about. But from the outside looking in, it was like a bunch of Jewish groups are like, how dare you stop us from being able to be uh, Islamophobic? Which by the way, right. as, as people on the right, and, and and people who you know support nationalism in the United States. This is such a good opportunity for us because now we are not going to be getting as much pushback from some of these groups, some of some of these uh, these ethnic obsessed groups and these victim groups. Because, for example, w- what exactly is it that some of these Jewish groups want? They're they're talking about their kids being afraid of going to school at their Hebrew schools. Um, their children are afraid of going to school at their Hebrew schools because of these free Palestine protests that are happening, including ones or like uh, when they're at a public high school. I've seen this before where there's a big free Palestine march that the school puts on. And then you hear these uh, these uh, Jewish families talk about how scared their kids are now because there's these free Palestine marches, which, to be completely honest, is dumb as hell. Like there's not an American well, citizen is, who's marched. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I was going to say. This has been going on in these campuses for a very long time. Oh yeah, but it was against There's white people. So who gives a refrain shit? In all these places, <laughs> exactly because it was free Palestine, and who's oppressing Palestine? The U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Now the, the the since since the progressives control the U.S. government, the narrative hasn't changed. Is well, who's oppressing Palestine? Well, it's still the U.S. government, right? And so the sort of global progressive movement is like, well, we, sh- we have essentially unquestioned power everywhere in the Western world. How do we frame this? How do we get control of the golem that we created that is now out of our control and rampaging amok? Like, if there starts to be pro-Hamas terror attacks by the massive amount of Muslims that, let's be frank, many Jewish groups were very pro-importing Muslims into the Western world. Well, got them out of their homeland. <laughs> right. Because 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 it also gets them out of actually that was one of the solutions I've seen being discussed about between what European governments and the United States government and the Israeli government is is Western governments accepting large numbers of Palestinian refugees, hmm. which would conveniently get large numbers of Palestinians out out of Gaza, which is less Palestinians for Israel to deal with, right. But right. then I always wonder, it's like, well, but the whole point is you're now upset that you imported all these people and they're essentially going off of off of the script. Like, well, no, no, mm-hmm. no. You're angry at us when really you should. We need we need 
you to be angry at all these white racists that were telling you were destroying your life. Not angry at the U.S. government and Israel. That's those are the people that like. That's us. You need to be angry at our enemies. <laughs> white americans well and that's 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 what's amazing is that, yeah it's the um you know there's high schools that'll have like a free palestine march which was you know they, they they do this crap because public schools like are indoctrination factories as we've been saying um mm-hmm. but then you see all these people saying like oh you know it, it must be so scary like it's it's terrifying for my kids my jewish kids going to this school it's terrible like they're terrified to go to school because all these people support hamas which is fucking asinine because it's not like a single American citizen is going to attack a Jewish kid. Like that's very highly unlikely. Let's just put it that way. I mean, it's not that it's, it's not a zero because you never know what could happen, but it's very highly unlikely unless there's a bunch of like, let's say there's a bunch of Palestinian refugee children. Then yeah, maybe you'd have a concern, but at the same time, imagine being a white kid during a black lives matter march. How is it not the same thing, but they want to pretend like it's not the same. And that's where I find this to be extremely interesting is suddenly now you're seeing like, oh, well, this looks terrible. Like my kid, my kid is like, my kid feels like shit because when they sit in class and people talk about Palestine, they make it sound like Israel's this big, mean, awful, like colonialist group that just oppresses brown people. And it's like, oh, that must be terrible for you. Well, you, you can. We actually yeah. have. We actually have support group meetings. Um, we meet at a place called the Bar, and it's called being an American now. Now you know what it's like to feel like a regular American, because everybody just pisses on you all the fucking time and blames you for every single problem they have. Uh, right. Welcome to being white. <laughs> Welcome to being white in America. But at the same. But at the same time exactly what you were saying there's going to be this push you're going to see the normal progressive push there's going to be there's there already is but there's going to be an even more pronounced refugee crisis that's going to occur because of what's going on in israel and palestine but are are the jewish groups going to support palestinian refugees which by the way they are all saying that they're all pro hamas Every Palestinian is pro Hamas Hamas. because they voted for Hamas in 2006, but they voted for Hamas. So they're all pro Hamas. Do you really think Jewish groups are going to support the idea of bringing in a bunch of pro Hamas Palestinians into the United States as refugees? Well, of course not. But hilariously, they're going to sound an awful lot like the mean neo-Nazi Trump supporting racists that they claimed we were remember the muslim ban remember that that, remember that, that, that was a oh that was a horrible awful racist thing and a ton of jewish groups stood against it mm-hmm. well what about now yeah so good question i mean like i said being on the right wing it's absolutely hilarious because you're going to see a lot of these progressive groups that are going to suddenly be like, well, we can't bring these refugees in here. That poses an extreme danger. These people, these people don't, don't share Western values. These people are going to potentially commit terrorism. It's like, oh my God, you sound, you sound like the caricature of the NASCAR, uh, NASCAR watching like 
giant truck driving white trash hayseed American in 2003. How dare you? Right. It'll be, you sound a lot like a Trump supporter. And I think these people will recoil in order to go, no, 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 I'm not a, I'm not an evil, awful, racist Trump supporter. I just, and then I'm certain that what we will see as these Jewish, as these progressive groups start eating themselves, people recoiling in horror at the mere assertion that they might be racist. It's like, no, no, I just, it'll be any accusation that being anti, say, uh, Muslim immigration for reasons that are um, of Muslims or anti-Semitic or whatever. I almost guarantee that that's going to become uh, any criticism of that is actually anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah, you're 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 an anti-Semite if you criticize people who are against. Yeah, who are who are against uh, bringing in refugees. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't support. I don't think we should be bringing in any Palestinian refugees at all. I think that that is a terrible idea. Um, Agreed. I'm sure that you know any anybody that's actually. Anybody that's actually affiliated with Hamas has likely already crossed through the open southern border um, unimpeded. So I don't think that Hamas is suddenly going to start like sending operatives in if that was their plan. They're probably already here. Uh, let's just be honest. They've left the door wide open. Hamas would be stupid not to have taken advantage of uh, the most Jewish administration in the history of America's uh, open border policy. Uh, which, by the way, we warned them about. Which we did. Yes, it's, it's, it's very true that there was plenty of warning given about, hey, maybe don't maybe don't let these people in. Maybe don't do this. Yeah. Like, I guess that's the big thing is what we don't do is, you know, we, we get so frustrated over some of the dumb things that we see, but we don't actually also sit back and, and look at the big see I told you so that we are getting out of so much of this situation right now. And, and like, that's, that's the solid reality of it is it's just, we've been right this whole, yes. this whole time. <laughs> like, and, and the other side of that coin too, is none of this would have happened. I mean, how many times have we had to have the conversation about the potential of world war three occurring? And it is entirely because of the failed globalist nonsense policies that are being put forward by the progressive movement. And the global American empire, as they call it. And we have not supported any of it. Like, if you're upset over the terrorist attack that occurred in Israel, then you need to vote for Donald Trump in the election. Because it wouldn't have fucking happened. If you're upset about Ukraine, then you should vote for Donald Trump in the next election. Because it wouldn't have happened. Nobody took these kinds of liberties when he was in office. They absolutely are taking these kinds of liberties with Joe Biden because he he's dementia riddled. He's completely compromised uh, through all of his corruption and fraud. I mean, it's just it's batshit why anyone would support this guy. And I say Donald Trump, because let's just be honest. I, I mean, you can insert whatever Republican candidate you like, except for people like Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. Uh, but you can you can insert Ron DeSantis. Let, let's be honest. If you're naming anybody else, it's 
Maybe Vivek. Maybe Vivek. I don't know. But point is, um, I just, you know, I'm going to take the person who's in the lead. But that is a good caveat into another interesting discussion because we do have to get into a little bit of primary talk. Now, we said we weren't going to do a primary prom, and we've stayed away from that and done a pretty good job. But there was some polling that came out that is absolutely insane. So um, I need to find the... Sorry, real quick. I'm going to find the overall numbers and I'll give you the overall numbers. And then there was a little bit of a deep dive into some of these numbers that were insane. Here we go. All right. So this is from the New York Times and Siena College. So remember, one of the things that we talk about when we've talked about polling over the years is that there's typically a very liberal lean to polling. That's why polling's bullshit. So if it shows a Republican in a good light, that's probably an even better light. Mm-hmm. Makes sense? So let's go over yep. some states, and I'm going to give context to these states because it's hard to remember some of the competitions that have occurred um, in previous, uh, previous elections and things like that. Nevada. So that was a battleground state in this last election. Biden, 41%. Trump, 52 That's a plus 10 to the Republican. Georgia. Wow. Remember the huge battle that happened there? Georgia went blue. Now, obviously, people talk a lot about corruption and things like that. And then there was the Senate race. There was a whole bunch of bullshit when it came to Georgia. Very contentious state that went blue in the last election, supposedly. Biden, mm-hmm. 43%. Trump, 49 or plus six. Arizona. Wow. Now, remember, Arizona is a big problem, too. That's where Carrie Lake was. You know, she says that the election was stolen from her for governor. There's a lot of weird shit happening in Arizona. Biden, 44. Trump, 49. That's a plus five. Hmm. Here's where it gets even more fun. You ready? Michigan, Biden, 43, Trump, 48, Pennsylvania, Biden, 44, Trump, 48, Wisconsin, Biden at 47, Trump at 44. But let's get interesting. Yeah. Now let's let's get into the actual text of those numbers here real quick. So this is what the uh, New York Times has to say. Voters under 30 favor Mr. Biden by only a single percentage point. His lead among Hispanic voters is down to single digits, and his advantage in urban areas is half of Mr. Trump's edge in rural regions. And while Hmm. women still favor Mr. Biden... Men preferred Mr. Trump by twice as large a margin, reversing the gender advantage that had fueled so many Democratic gains in recent years. Remember, I've consistently said that the number one demographic focused on by the Democrat Party is white suburban women. Black voters, long a bulwark for Democrats and for Mr. Biden, are now registering 22% support in those states for Mr. Trump, a level unseen in presidential politics for a Republican in modern times. And it altogether 
or add it all together, and Mr. Trump leads by 10 points in Nevada, 6 in Georgia, 5 in Arizona, 5 in Michigan, and 4 in Pennsylvania, where Biden only holds a two-point edge in Wisconsin. Hmm. Interesting. So, Trump is surging, and basically, at least right now, as it stands right now, we're pretty far out, we're a year out, roughly. Um, mm-hmm. but Trump is making incredible gains in states that were contentious in the last election, which blows out of the water. One of the main things that his primary opponents like to bring up, which is, well, Trump already lost to Biden, but this is not the same election. This is not 2020 people have four years of Joe Biden to look at, and they do not like what they see. It now I I have consistently said, well, now this next election is the Republicans election to lose. And that's any Republican. Oh, absolutely. I just do not see a path where Joe Biden can withstand. Number one, I when I, I think that a lot of it is there is going to be a massive enthusiasm gap. Why would anyone be enthusiastic? about joe biden nobody right. takes they him might seriously. not want to vote republican they might yeah. think oh republicans are evil awful and racist and that's what i've been told my whole life but i can't imagine anyone is excited to go out and vote for biden no matter who no matter who the candidate is let's say trump was the candidate mm-hmm. i can't imagine li- most liberals i think the their fear of another trump presidency is going to be very lukewarm Exactly. Even if it's even if they're like, I don't want Trump to win. I think a lot of people might say, I don't want Trump to win, even if they were liberal. But I think the energy that they're going to put forth in making sure that that doesn't happen is going to be relatively limited. Well, and that's the thing is is that is that is what a lot of these um, and and I'm not I'm not necessarily naysaying it, but that is what a lot of these other other campaigns are basing this kind of idea on is that it's not so much like, yes, there's an enthusiasm gap for Joe Biden, but liberals would coalesce and create a strong uh, opposition to Donald Trump. You know, like more there would be more energy in ensuring that Donald Trump doesn't become president. And that would actually create a larger coalition against like the coalition would be against Trump rather than for Biden. And I can understand that to a certain extent, except here's the problem. What that would have to feed off of is number one is like, yeah, the media has consistently, there's a certain point where the media going to the ropes constantly against Donald Trump gets old and gets boring. And we are beyond right. the it being old and it being boring part. I just don't think you personally have seen it. I've personally seen it. So it yeah. is anecdotal. I have seen so many liberals withdraw from yeah. politics. And My at, other question is, mm-hmm. is Joe Biden even going to campaign? Because he didn't last time. Well, <laughs> is he going to hold a big events? Is he going to hold rallies? Are they going to have debates even? You, you want to talk? I don't... The, Right. I, I think because you can't, they can't use the COVID specter mm-hmm. again this year or, or next year, whatever. They can't use the, the specter of COVID to not have any debates and not have any rallies and 
that's going to be absent from the whole contest this time. Well, and now, I feel and like that is absolutely to Joe Biden's detriment because people, let's say people weren't especially excited about Joe Biden the first time. I think when it's when it's like, oh, Joe Biden is, I mean, imagine him on a debate stage. Imagine how bad that's going to look for him against anyone even remotely competent. Well, and well, yeah, that well, that's exactly true. Now, do me a favor, Alan. Uh, tell the audience. I'm gonna I'm gonna cover. There's a really great uh, comment here from um, our good friend Libertera, but I need a couple of minutes because my coffee is hitting me quickly. I have oh, to know. So. Tell everybody about the experience that you've had, not only not only just with politics in general, but with things like Israel and Ukraine, because you live in Seattle. There's a lot of liberals there. There's a lot of activists there. But you seem to have seen a complete lack of interest in any of this, which is different from what you were used to, say, during COVID and, and things like that. Like, Explain what that perspective has been and how you've seen the withdrawal since basically 2020. Oh, certainly. So I think since let's talk about uh, let's go with Ukraine first. So I saw when Ukraine war kicked off. People I work with, people I talk to, many of whom were very liberal, all had an opinion and couldn't wait to talk about Ukraine. And for a while now, it's been I see Ukraine flags everywhere. Suddenly, everybody's getting Ukraine bumper stickers. Uh, you know, you sort of had the the holy triumvirate on people's lawns. You had the in this house, we believe in science placard next to a black. I support Black Lives Matter placard with the Ukrainian flag now hanging behind it. All of this has become sort of a common sight out here in the Seattle area. And I was expecting after this attack by Hamas on Israel and the what I saw was the exact same coalescing of the media and government organizations to all push the same messaging of we support Israel. Supporting Israel is the right thing to do. That's what we all have to do is support Israel, support, support, support Israel, Israel, Israel. I expected to see Israeli flags replacing Ukrainian flags, bumper stickers that say we stand with Israel, pasted over Black Lives Matter bumper stickers. That all is what I expected to see. I expected the people I interact with to bring up, wow, did you hear about this crazy attack? You know, man, that those poor Israelis need our support. And, you know, I think it's out. I expected to hear discussions about that sort of thing. And to my sort of shock and amazement, I've seen and heard nothing of the sort. The people that I know that were so excited to talk about Ukraine and how terrible Putin was and how off are completely silent on Israel. And I find, and, and this, and the whole conflict, it's as if it's not even happening. And that is very interesting to me because it is a very big reversal from what I previously saw. And it also means that all these people that drive to work, listening to NPR, getting all in where they get most of their opinions, Gross. have essentially either ducked out or are no longer listening. And I find that very curious. And I'm not entirely sure what the what greater thing I can draw from that is other than either there's I think there is a level of ex both exhaustion mm -hmm. that people are tired of hearing about all this and tired about being upset. But additionally, I think a lot of people's normal people see this, see what happened in Israel with Hamas as simply boring, like Russia invading Ukraine. It was a 
shocking event that was somewhat unheard of, like a land war in Europe. That hasn't happened since the 40s. Whoa! Whereas I think a lot of people saw this, saw it and was like, oh, oh yeah, more um, terrorist attacks and war in the Middle East. Yeah, that's been the last 20-something years. So I'm not really... I, I think it fell flat because a lot of normal people just can't care that much. Like, yeah, this just happens over there. So, uh, eh. And I find that very interesting. Well, but I, 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 I guess my, my total point is the people that should be getting radicalized by the news to most fervently support Israel, who've supported all the other nonsense the news told them to support, are seeming to let this one go by. And that's an interesting reversal. Well, one big part of it, too, in the withdrawal entirely or in, in, in large part when it comes to politics is because during the Trump presidency, progressives well progressives became far more active right and um right. one of one of the larger or one of the main mainstays of their uh, constant problems is that basically the president of the united states is responsible for literally everything because remember like democrats had control over like the house of representatives but they couldn't be blamed for anything that went mm -hmm. wrong in the country. Everything was Donald Trump's fault. Well, by comparison, that means that everything that happens in this country is Joe Biden's fault. And the other aspect right. of it is number one, there's a far more fierce, like, you know, take, take the, take the victories that we have. There is a far more fierce and, and responsive right wing movement. So liberals can't just well, say and also shit. The internet. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like liberals can't just say yeah. shit and get away with it anymore. They're going to mm -hmm. meet pushback. And I think that that has absolutely pissed off the left, mostly because they keep changing their positions and they keep getting called out on it. I've, I've seen this just in my personal life where it takes about five seconds I mean, for example, a really good one was, was COVID, right? You start talking to people about COVID and it's like, man, but remember how evil uh, Big Pharma is though? Like, what about like Oxycontin and all this other stuff? And you just see liberals who are like, well, let's talk about sports. Yeah, I, I saw people withdraw because they went, oh, I now, I think a lot of liberals got very excited about a lot of things because they could argue and they could feel so moral and they could win in every argument by talking about oppression and whatnot. And then that changed and they could no longer win every argument essentially by default by being the most compassionate, quote, people, quote, compassionate people in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think that that made it no fun for them. That made having any political debate or having these opinions and being outspoken suddenly didn't be wasn't fun anymore. Because they couldn't get the same good feeling that they used to get. And that, it's like, to them, I think it was, since, it, since politics has always been sort of a game and not really that serious, I think a lot of liberals have been checking out simply for the reasons that they can no longer get that good feeling from it anymore. And that was really the goal in the first place. That was now, only ever their original goal. Now to address one of the comments that's here when we talk about, specifically about Biden, um, our good friend Libertera says, Joe's not going to be the nominee. Everyone knows he'd lose 
to a wrench. Um, yeah. This is interesting. I, I can't fault that idea. It seems insane that they'd try and run him. Well, I don't know who they'd replace him with. Well, so this is where it gets interesting because this this uh, it's entirely possible this next election might be an absolute shit show. Of all the people in the I mean, world to come, <laughs> to come out of the woodwork, Bill Crystal, fucking Bill Crystal, <laughs> um, this morning at 836 mm-hmm. this morning, it's time. President Biden has served our country well. I'm confident he'll do so for the next year. But it's time for an act of personal sacrifice and public spirit. It's time to pass the torch to the next generation. It's time for Biden to announce he won't run in 2024. Okay. Thanks, Bill Crystal. But does that actually, is that actually going to result in anything? Well, you know, it it's interesting because... It's a notable thing because remember Republican veterans against Trump and the Lincoln project. And we're talking millions of dollars and a lot of ad revenue. So they've got to be backing someone. And there is a group that's becoming a little bit more uh, interesting. And so this is what's it. This is the most obnoxious group on the fucking planet, in my opinion. And it is called the no labels. So, uh, huh. I, I'm, I'm not shocked. You haven't heard about it, but it is. It's the, it basically it's made up of like the worst fucking people on the planet. Think David French, Bill Crystal, uh, Larry Hogan, of Maryland. So the no labels party who, whose, you know, motto is we are the common sense majority. So it's like the, it, so their common sense policy booklet. I'm not going to buy their booklet for this. So, that's the whole thing is this is like, these are kind of your more middle of the road Democrats and your never Trumpers mm-hmm. and things like that. And so, and it, it honestly, I think a lot of this is the fact that, uh, they just a hundred percent, like they know that Joe Biden's going to lose. I, I think that they would normally just be Democrats. Like all these people would just vote Democrat mm-hmm. because of course they would, but they know Joe Biden doesn't have a chance in hell. And he's such a fucking embarrassment that they're like literally starting their own party. So one of the things that they have is what's known as a unity ticket for 2024. No labels is working to ensure Americans have a choice to vote for a presidential ticket that features strong, effective, and honest leaders who will commit to working closely with both parties to find common sense solutions for America's biggest problems. This is the unit party. That is what this is. Our strategy We are preparing for the possibility of nominating a candidate. We have not yet committed to do so. We will run only under the proper environmental conditions, which will be met for us to proceed. We will measure these conditions 
rigorously through regular polling and research. The Washington establishment is often so certain and so wrong about the future. Remember when they told you a Republican red wave was coming in the 2022 midterms or that Hillary Clinton had a 100% chance of winning winning the election in 2016 against Donald Trump? Keep this in mind next time you hear that an independent ticket could never win the White House in 2024. No Labels has spent more than a year investigating whether whether it is possible. We surveyed more than 50,000 people across several different polls. Our most recent poll conducted in Her- uh, by Harris X in December 2022 included responses from more than 26,000 registered voters, including representative samples in all 50 states. We aren't aware of any other poll that's been conducted in 2024 election cycle with a sample larger or th- larger or this granular. And the idea is most wow. voters think the U.S. is on the wrong track. Okay. And well, so, yeah. And they're going to put us on the right track with policies that are exactly the same as the ones that put us on the wrong track? Yeah, right. Like, no labels n- nominates a unity ticket. Both parties keep forcing the American people down a road they don't want to go and not and and nominate candidates most Americans don't want to vote for. Well, that's not fucking true. 76 million people voted for Donald Trump. That's a huge amount. Right. If this happens and no labels as polling and research show there's a path to victory for a unity ticket to win in the electoral college, then we will offer our ballot line for it to a ticket. <laughs> this wow that's funny so anyway this is primarily pushed and funded by never trumpers so entirely the no labels group is a hundred percent because they know that if donald trump is going against joe biden in 2024 that donald trump's going to win and probably going to win in a landslide right and so so it's essentially trying to dilute the republican vote to make sure donald trump doesn't win that's the hope right which the supposition and i got this from uh uh, another uh, a radio host actually because that that's how i ended up going down this rabbit hole um he uh crap his name just like escaped me so now i feel like an asshole bringing him up um but there it is. Yeah. Larry O'Connor. There we go. Jeez. He's a morning host out here in the DC area. But here's his prediction. David French. As the candidate. Yep. They tried to run him before. Oh. But think about it. So either David French or Larry Hogan. My guess is Larry Hogan. So Larry Hogan being the Republican so, governor of Maryland that was supported by Democrats because basically he was a Democrat that occasionally uh, wanted to have, you know, lower taxes and more free market solutions. Mm-hmm. But on every social aspect, he was basically just a complete blaring shit lib. So I actually would be really excited mm-hmm. for this. I really would love to see a debate between... Let's say DeSantis or Trump, regardless of who would get the candidacy, I would really love to see them actually debate like a David French. 
I want to see David French get slapped around by Ron DeSantis. Oh, that'd be fantastic. So well, good for them. I, I hope that this. I hope that they pursue this. I hope that it is the most embarrassing thing ever, and I hope it completely destroys any credibility the anti-Trump wing of the Republican Party ever actually has. So uh, we have we have a comment here that it's going to be mittens or the shithead from West Virginia. So so that's the idea is Mitt Romney. Very highly unlikely that it would be Mitt Romney. Oh, yeah. Because, Mitt, sure. re- remember, it's supposed to be no labels, right? But Mitt Romney ran as a as no a labels. Republican, like, for president against, remember, against black Jesus. So he's already been, been right. poisoned. Right. He ran against black Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you can't have somebody who ran against black Jesus. Uh, but secondarily, uh, the shithead from West Virginia, that being Joe Manchin. I uh, okay. I don't know if Joe Manchin would spoil his good. Joe Manchin is actually really smart. Um, okay. It annoys me. Same thing with Kristen Cinema, although I'm not sure about that one so much anymore. Joe Manchin is a fucking Democrat that occasionally gets a bunch of idiot Republicans to be like, he's so great. He's one of the good ones. No, he's fucking not. The reason why is, yeah, occasionally he votes against certain Democrat policies, and we absolutely agree with the ones that he votes against. But why is he still a Democrat then? If he was, quote, one of the good ones, he would leave the party because the things he votes against infuriate the Democrat party because they vote entirely for it. And if it weren't for Joe Manchin voting against it, it would have passed. So he's completely bucking the Democrat party my big question for people like Joe Manchin is, why the fuck are you sticking around? That's a good question, yeah. So, like, what what's keeping you a Democrat? Well, what's keeping him a Democrat is the fact that unions have a gun against his head because he's a senator from West Virginia. If right. he bucks the Democrat Party, he'll probably get killed. <laughs> but it's West Virginia. It's one of the most disrespected states by the majority of the effete who vote Democrat. There's zero reason why West Virginia should be a blue state. They fucking hate you. Sure. Like, it's it's mice voting for a cat at this point. They've gutted your entire... I mean, Joe Manchin, I think, is a uh, uh, aberration. But to be fair, he was like their governor. I mean, he had a really good political career in uh, West Virginia. But he also was in a really interesting position at the time. But he also supported the party that completely gutted, bankrupted, and forced a bunch of uh, West Virginians to become, you know, drug-addled Oxycontin fiends. So I I think basically if you get a decent right-wing populist running – in West Virginia, for example, a, um, oh man, like, like if they, if he got like a Joe Kent or who was that, uh, dang it. Who's the guy from Ohio that did a really, really good job. Wrote the hillbilly eff- uh, elegy. I can't remember off the top of my head. Ah, damn. Anyway, the, the Senator from Ohio who maybe somebody in chat will throw his name out there, but if they get somebody like that, running for the GOP in West Virginia, it's over. 
Joe Manchin doesn't have a career anymore. So that's that's why he has to kind of kiss ass. So I don't. Long story short, I don't think that he's going to run. Um, I don't. I don't think we're going to see Joe Manchin run as a presidential candidate. And that's the whole thing too. Is if the conditions are right, like what are you talking about? What conditions? Like the conditions would have to be that it's so contentious and so close that like thirty percent could put you somehow magically over the top. And I just don't see it happening. But that does bring us to another question. If if Joe Biden doesn't run, who's going to take his spot? The only way I can see this making that their little gambit making any sense is if they assume a bunch of Democrats are going to vote for them rather than vote for whoever the Democrats put up. Like they're essentially acting as controlled opposition, but that can go both ways. And potentially Mm -hmm. it is, listen, we have a bunch of our own voters are really disappointed with Biden. They think we suck. Let's try and push someone out there as essentially this fake Republican that offers, oh, here's all the, they'll say all the things that they'll, you will want them to say, but they'll also not be a scary populist. Right. Any potential that that's actually what's going on with this, that they're essentially acting as a, essentially a fake Republican to give people some sort of feeling that they're actually voting against the policies of Joe Biden when really they are just going to vote to keep them? Oh, yeah. No, this is 100%. Like all of the people that are behind this and and as being mentioned here um, by NP in our chat, it's like Mitt Romney has talked about the no labels as has joe manchin this is a hundred percent oh yeah so this entire thing is focused on trying to capture a bunch of quote centrists to because the centrists well i can't vote for joe biden because i don't like what he's done but i also can't vote for this like guy who the news is calling racist yeah i can't vote for donald trump right and so it's sort of this idea is let's create a party that captures all the centrists and either then they won't vote they won't be like ah I, I don't want Biden, so I, I guess I'll have to vote Republican this election. It gives them this option of an out, and potentially that muddies the waters enough that through voter fraud, they can tip the scales and get a Democrat reelected. Right. I think, honestly, like as best as I can tell, number one, um, it's it's an attempt to what I what I think that they're honestly going for, because this is the kind of nonsense bullshit that these people do is I think that they are going to attempt to target specific areas because Donald Trump's probably going to have, let's just say, like Donald Trump being the candidate is probably going to have a landslide victory and they are going to attempt to. Mm-hmm whittle away electoral college votes in very strategic areas to either one, at least keep him from getting to the threshold of electoral college votes. Um, or yeah. num- in number two, in an attempt to maybe kick it to the house of representatives in hopes that they will just nominate Joe Biden. It is, this is 100%. The the con, when the if the conditions are right, the conditions being right are Donald Trump's the nominee. If Donald Trump is yeah. the GOP nominee, then the no labels party is going to come come out there swinging to try to upend any chance of Donald Trump becoming president because they know that Donald Trump 
versus Joe Biden, it is going to be a clean sweep. Right. Like 100%. Because, and, and understand, like, this is people like Bill Crystal, the same person who sat there and ran a war game on how to steal the election from Donald Trump. Yep. Remember, they did that. John Podesta and Bill Crystal and people like that all got together and ran a war game on how they could steal the election from Donald Trump if he won in 2020. And then came up with a plan on how to ensure that Donald Trump could not win in 2020. And a big part of that was mail-in voting. Yep. So, I mean, there's a there's a Time article that you can go read. It was in Time magazine where they literally admit to it. Oh, yeah, we had a plan the entire time. We were going to ensure that Donald Trump could not win. Mm -hmm. So, but what I was saying is from the Democrat side, let's take the no labels losers out of this. Because to be honest, at the end of the day, this could be a serious movement. It could also just be another money-making grift. These people care way more about just making money than they do actually about like, you know, furthering some sort of policy. This could just be Bill Crystal's latest, how he's going to make a million dollars because nobody gives a shit what he has to say. So another question though, is who, who, if, if somehow they convince Joe Biden to not run, who do the Democrats run instead? I think Kamala Harris would be the number one kind of ideal choice. But I don't see her. I see. I don't think she's necessarily thought of highly enough to really make it. Now she's. Um... This is my. This has been my contention: is if you got rid of Joe Biden, what other prominent, what other Democrat has risen to enough prominence that would be viable for president? This is what maybe Gavin Newsom, but uh, the governor of California. Yeah, yeah. But this close to the election. I feel like we should be seeing it should be obvious. So, so like look at the Republican ticket. It's pretty much almost uncertain to be either Trump or DeSantis. Yeah. What what about the Democrat ticket? It's like everybody's focused on it's going to be Biden, but there doesn't seem to be anyone positioning themselves to be a as of yet as a serious runner up to Joe Biden that actually has the backing of any serious amount of political power. Gavin Newsom, I hear discussed, and maybe he could pull it off. He he would maybe be my pick if I had to guess who might, would take over. But I don't see coming from him and the media around him. I don't see him being positioned to take over that, to take that over. Well, and this is this is like, what's this is what's so what's incredibly confusing to me. This is what's so. Um pathetic when it comes to uh the democrats because i have heard a name bandied about and it's absolutely insane because this person has zero political experience whatsoever and it shows how unserious well number one it shows that the democrat party is really just puppets they just run puppets um but number two it also shows how just gross these people are do you know who the name is? Who? Michelle Obama. I shit you not. I can't believe that. That's not true. No way. I mean, Hillary Clinton, for fuck's sake, man. Like, 
What experience yeah, did Hillary Clinton, Clinton have? Secretary of State. Yeah, she was because she was going to run for president. She had already run before. Right. No, no, that, that's what I mean is they haven't positioned Michelle Obama yeah. in any position that would legitimize a run for president for her all by now. But which, which mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's not possible. I think that if they did try to do a Michelle Obama, they would have been smarter about how, this. How ridiculous though that would be. They, I feel like they would have been. They, they would. I would see her name in the news more often. I would see yeah, her she, out front. I'd see her shaking hands with Netanyahu right now. I would see. I would see more about her to get her on people's minds as a realistic option for president. And lacking that, it's hard for me to really take those things seriously, even though I know for a fact that there's a lot of progressives that would be thrilled about a Michelle Obama run. I mean, yeah, the first transgender president the, would be... I, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they're avoiding all the cameras, is they don't want all the bulge pictures. <laughs> Fucking big Which, mic. Man, what if what if they what if that was the thing and they turned into it like just they revealed i bet with the news with the news media so firmly in the pocket of the sort of whole left wing new world order folks i wonder if they could reveal michelle obama is a post op transgender has been the whole time and it is stunning and brave that she is running for president and i would I bet they could try and sell that with zero sense of self-reflection. I I need to be more thankful when my enemies show themselves for being exactly who I've said that they are. Yeah. And it would be very hard for me not to be so pissed off to be like, oh my God, you all called this a fucking conspiracy. Yeah. But yeah, it would be first transgender president it's so sad because it's it's not even like here's the thing i have no idea like i don't know if those are manipulated pictures or whatever when it comes to like the bulge and all of that it's just that there's been mm -hmm. enough talk about obama being gay and then there's enough the point i guess i'll say it this way i wouldn't be shocked if it were true. And of course the Democrats would lie about it. Of course they would. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, it's just like, that's, that's all it is like. And it's the same thing. Like there's also the uh, conspiracy or yeah, basically the conspiracy about Chelsea Clinton, like not being Bill's daughter. Oh yeah. And having like a lot of physical traits that are similar to uh, this other this other person, I can't remember their name, but remember, and, uh, interestingly, maybe I missed this, but di didn't Tucker Carlson end up having, remember a, a few months ago, I brought up that there was a guy in the past that talked about having a sexual relationship with Barack Obama. Remember I brought that up a few months ago, About who? There, there Sorry? was a guy that had said that he had had a sexual relationship, a, a, a homosexual oh, yeah. relationship with Barack Obama, and then he disappeared. Tucker Carlson had that dude on just a couple weeks yeah. ago. Now, I'm not suggesting that Tucker, you know, took a point from from us, but maybe he fucking did. 
Because I brought that up kind of like on, as a knee jerk, like, oh, I remember this being a thing. And then we never heard about it again. And then a couple weeks later, all of a sudden, Tucker Carlson's like, hey, here's a dude who claims he had a sexual relationship with Obama. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> like it's happening. But anyway, so some of that stuff's coming out, which is fascinating. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it is very interesting um, that some of that's coming by. But I have no idea. I, I don't know who the Democrats would run. Gavin Newsom is pretty high up there on, on the level. Um, he did just go to China, was out there glad-handing. Um, yeah. And so who knows? That could be for anything, though. Like, that could just sure. be him setting up his own... Um, I don't know if he has any kids or not, but he could just be trying to set up business deals with them like, a, you know, a la Joe Biden. So for, for all we know, maybe he has a kid that needs a few million dollars. And so he's going to make them the member of a board of a Chinese energy company. Um, who's who's to say? And And that's the other thing, too, is with all this Israel stuff that's going on, you know, there are there are still things happening. Uh, but it has definitely taken up the news cycle from talking about a lot of the Joe Biden corruption. And I mean, there have, there's been a lot of discussions happening. For example, uh, some of the bank records that have come out have shown a like 200, like $200,000 uh, that Joe Biden's brother paid Joe. So his brother, Jim Biden, paid Joe $200,000 randomly, and it seems to match a transaction uh, that Jim Biden received from a foreign entity, I believe, China. And so everyone's like, well, this shows the damn pass through. Like, obviously, you know, you can't give the money directly to Joe. So they gave it to his brother and then his brother sent it to him. Uh, and then the, I think the excuse claim on it was like, oh, well, it was actually Jim Biden was repaying a loan. Mm -hmm. like yeah yeah two hundred thousand dollars and then another forty thousand dollars like we all know how the money laundering is working the money remember the money goes into the biden family members and then they have the 10 percent for the big guy right like that's how it works and it's hilarious because we all know like hunter biden's admitted to it i mean he told his he told his own daughter he was like you know you know, I hope I hope I'm better than than you know Joe or Pop. You know, is I won't take all of your damn money like he does. So it's like, God damn. Um, but a lot of that stuff's coming out. I don't know how effectual it, it will be. Um, obviously, it'll pick up even more in the beginning of the year because you know Congress is kind of. Yeah sitting there they're, we're in the holiday season so everyone has to understand the government's not going to be doing a whole hell of a lot and on top of it there's elections going on like next week there's several states that are going to have elections so congress isn't going to be super effectual so don't expect a lot of movement from them until the beginning of the year but it's going to be really interesting given the fact that you know new speaker of the house has to try to make a splash a uh, lot of questions on him and where he sits in a good way for him to coalesce uh, the most ardent Republican supporters is to go after Joe Biden and try to impeach him or at a minimum, go after uh secretary. Uh, what is it? The secretary of Homeland Security, uh, Mayorkas, because mm-hmm. uh, you saw You were telling me about a video that you saw where the federal government was going out there with a forklift in Texas to lift up razor wire and allow migrants yeah. through. 
Yeah, so in Eagle Pass, Texas, there's video of a razor wire barricade that was designed to protect the U.S. border from swarms of foreigners flooding into our country and uh, people with, I believe it was the Department of Homeland Security or Border Control. Uh, it's not clear which one, but one government agency had people on the ground and was using a forklift to raise this barrier of razor wire that had been installed by the state of Texas, uh, allowing hundreds of illegal illegals to flood in under the razor wire. And I was caught on video. And so it's pretty clear that there is an absolute conspiracy among people in the U.S. government to ensure a flood of foreigners into our country for some nefarious purpose. Um... It's funny because uh, there was, remember a couple of weeks ago, or it was probably actually a month ago now, um, <clears throat> where you had these pictures. Well, we, we all remember. Remember the crying girl picture on Time Magazine's cover where it's Trump standing there and this poor girl's just crying because she was being separated from her mommy. And in reality, it was just a sure. it was it was a bullshit photo, and everyone knew that it was an op. Well, it's the same as when mm -hmm. uh, AOC was crying yeah. at the fence. The, the, the picture view from the other side. There's nothing on the other side of the fence for her to even cry about. It was Sim all a photo op. Yeah. Similarly, so what, what's happened is Governor Greg Abbott has put razor wire out to try to stop illegal crossings because there are just these massive caravans coming across the border. There yeah, was a, and who I wonder is funding those caravans. Who's providing them food and transportation and money and all the other logistical support to get thousands of people from South America all the way across up into Mexico and across the U S border. Somebody has to pay for for their food it would someone be, has to pay for the gas to put them on trucks someone has to get them there and it would be anti-semitic for me to name are. that person i do know that there are groups that have been photographed on the border in mexico one of the groups was um what is it uh jews for refugees yeah it is a jewish group whose entire goal is to facilitate movement of refugees into the united states mm -hmm. i mean that they are a real group Jews for open borders. That's that's what it is. Um, well, so, I meant George Soros. I feel like same idea. Uh, true. Yeah, it's Open Societies Foundation. Open Societies. Part of that is mass migration of people from the global south into basically Western countries. Mm -hmm. And uh, this also this last week there was a warning put out by the Department of Homeland Security about numbers of basically Muslim men coming in from the southern border that they were said worry there was a what? worry of increased terror what? coming from those groups. Again, Who? probably we I have heard discussions of this for years now and <laughs> only now because Israel was attacked by Hamas, do does the Department of Homeland Security suddenly care that the there might be terrorists or other criminal elements flooding through our open border? Who could have predicted? Who if 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 ever there was a time to have a politician suggest that there might be rapists, murderers, and terrorists coming across the border, gosh, anyone should vote for that person. Who ever could have been so smart as to suggest that the open border could have potentially been a vector for bad people? Who could have thought? Yeah. 
Exactly. Oh, weird. Weird. It's not like we've been warning about this for years now. Huh? Strange. But now it matters. Yeah. yeah. Now, 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 it now it does. Now it matters. Now we have to be concerned about it because, mm. well, that's just like in a lot of places in Europe are now having massive pro-Palestinian demonstrations and there have been attacks on Jews in Europe and Europe is responding by saying violence, the sudden and completely unexpected violence from our Muslim majorities and in my, many cities in um, Europe, especially London, where they are a majority, uh, is deeply concerning and worrying and we have to deport anybody that shows any violence towards our precious Jews here in Europe. Now, granted, there are the you know, thousands of European women are raped every year by migrants. There's been many terrorist attacks against European citizens before. Uh, the huge amount of crime and violence and no-go zones that have popped in places. Sweden, which went from the lowest amount of violence, sexual violence against women, to now the high, to now the rape capital of Europe, all because of mass Muslim migration. None of that mattered, and that, and we were told that. All of that was just the growing pains of diversity, and we had to accept it, and it couldn't be stopped, and it was fine, and you were a bo also a bigot if you notice it. Even it's, it's not happening, but if it is happening, it's a good thing. But suddenly when it's, oh, we are, uh, all these people are now turning against Israel, suddenly that means all the governments of Europe have to unite together to stop anti-Semitism, while their own people getting killed by Muslims is really not a problem we want to keep adding more muslims as long as they're only targeting europeans but as soon as they start targeting jews well that's a big difference that we can't stand for this it's world it's the nazis all over again so wasn't there something put out by like was it the german president yes it was, so it was the german government basically said any we're going to we're going any uh migrant or any Muslim that has come to Germany uh, is going to be deported if they are convicted. If there are any anti-Semitic crimes, they are to be immediately deported. And any new arrivals of Muslims, because of course they're not going to stop the flow of non-Europeans into Europe. Every new Muslim migrant has to take a oath of has to take a. I don't. I don't know. It was re referred to as an oath of loyalty to Israel, but I think it had to be a, an oath to not be critical of Israel in order to be admitted to Germany. Not an oath of loyalty to Germany or an oath to the German people or German government, but an oath to a foreign country so you can be admitted into a European country. Now, do, do, do you think some of this, of course, of course, do you think uh, some of this was the pressure of, well, because Germany was where the Nazis happened, this guy has to basically like grab his ankles and get cucked hard? Well, actually, I think there actually has been a hilarious, hilariously, a upsurge in what they would refer to as anti-Semitism in Germany, which, of course, for a long time now has been a big no-no, like, oh, we anything but more anti-Semitism. And now I think Germans are seeing, or the German government sees it as, wait, anti-Semitism, but it's coming from our precious Muslims who we were hoping would just be killing German citizens. That's not, <laughs> not acceptable. And so I think they're, they're reacting in a hilarious and, of course, disjointed fashion because it was, we imported these people to dilute and destroy our European, pop our German population, but instead they're attacking our precious Jews. Oh, no! <laughs> And I think in re I think in reality, especially the events in Israel with Hamas and 
all of the fracture points that are appearing because of this conflict spreading around the globe, really what we're seeing is, is the death throes of the post-World War II world order that was always built on this sort of disingenuous, you know, you know, we're ruled by the rules and the rule of law, when really all of that was just designed to allow the people setting the rule of law and international order to operate as illegally and selfishly as possible with this veneer of justification. And I think we're just seeing that entire house of cards come crumbling down. And as frustrating as it is, I think that it's going to, in the end, be a very good thing because a lot of the current world system is based on essentially a bunch of lies that we t that have been told and told time and time again that are just leading things into becoming more and more disingenuous. For example, diversity is a, is a strength. Nationalism is evil, etc. Those things are going to are in their death throes, and when they become dispensed with, it's going to be a better it's going to be better for everyone. Yeah, it's <clears throat> I think that there's a lot of stuff that's um, well, OK, to be completely honest with the bad takes, especially a lot of the what I guess you could best call cuckery uh, that we're seeing, mm -hmm. um, for example, the, I can understand the dual loyalty caucus obviously being what we've always warned they were going to be dual loyal. Uh, you know, they don't care how much blood and treasure of America gets sacrificed as long as their true homeland is defended. Um, sure. You know, and that's not like, I just want honesty. Like if somebody likes yeah. Israel more than the United States, fucking fine. Okay. You know, like there's Puerto Ricans that live in the United States that really like Puerto Rico. And I would expect them you know, when things happen in Puerto Rico, when they have family there and things like that, that they, they might be upset. I've known soldiers that are from Puerto, you know, stuff like that, you know, it makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, of course they are always going to have this strong attachment to that area and they may not be as attached to the United States. Let's say, I just sure. don't understand why it's so hard for us to look at something like the people who really, really, really feel an attachment to Israel to just be fucking honest with us and not pretend like they don't to just gaslight us. I'm tired of the gaslighting is the best way I can say it. So point is, I understand those people basically raging about any, any question of Israel. You have to support Israel 110%. If, if Israel, if Israel blows up a kindergarten, you need to cheer and convince everybody that those kindergartners were actually all Hamas terrorists. Otherwise, right. you're anti-Semitic. That, that is the state of a lot of these people. Mm -hmm. What's more upsetting is the stupidity of the other people in the right wing that somehow think that if they shill just as hard for Israel as the dual loyalty caucus does, that a single Jewish progressive is going to suddenly vote GOP. And yeah, that's, that's the, the depressing part. part is it's like, dude, I understand to be honest, I'm going to quit trying to avoid saying it. I understand the right wing Jews 
like having just the biggest fucking hard on for Israel and Israel can do no wrong. God's chosen people, yada, yada, yada. What I don't understand is all the other people on the right wing being just as shilly for it because I want so bad to just kind of like pull them aside and go, hey, dude, 65 to 70% of Jews are still going to vote for Joe Biden. Yeah. Like and, uh, and kind of regardless, regardless of, regardless of anything else, they're going to still. Uh, it's ridiculous to think that people that have spent their lives voting Democrats are really going to change. Yeah. And, and and at the same time, a lot of Jews are very concerned about the rise of of anti-Semitism, and of and that is laid entirely at the feet of white nationalist americans yeah um and so their their biggest concern is white nationalism i think they look at what maybe muslims and maybe that's scary for them but we've not yet reached the point of essentially muslim violence against jews that i my uh, my assumption is most jews are going to still be so much more concerned about the new hitler coming from white nationalists than they are about um a bunch of Hamas supporting Somalis in Michigan. Oh well, I, I maybe pro- that calculus changes over the next few years, but I don't see the I see that the threat of white nationalism ringing so so ringing with the Jewish population so much that I think it's ridiculous that they're going to completely abandon that and start voting Republican or voting right wing or supporting nationalism and anything like that. I promise you that every major newspaper has their whitening filter ready for when somebody kills a Jew <laughs> and it'll be like like they they're, they're going to lighten that skin pretty hardcore maybe even almost wash it out and suddenly mm-hmm. you know they're going to start using the like americanized or westernized nicknames that somebody used like his name might have been like you know Abu Fawad but they'll be like Abe this gentleman Abe here, uh, you know, shot up a synagogue. That yeah. they, they are a hundred percent going to try to. Um, <laughs> sorry, um, they're a hundred percent going to try to anglicize any of this. Right. Well, it, because the whole mm-hmm. thing is they want to play Muslims off against whites. They want to play Jews off against whites. Mm-hmm. The divide and conquer strategy is take all of these disparate groups. The whole strategy of the left is unite all of these groups of all these different foreigners and people against the against the white the man. majority which was essentially white the, the we're going to radicalize them and put pit them all together against the white majority and that is how our way to divide and conquer america and and rule it and that it, as that coalition starts to fracture i can only see that they're going to double down more and more on demonizing white americans to try and keep keep their coalition of the disparate together you can see it already essentially there there is a lot of friction between blacks and hispanics and that's why you see this doubling down of racism and anti-black sentiment and it's all white nationalists because they have to keep these different people more scared of these fictional white nationalists than they are actually about what's going on in their communities. Like, there's a lot of gang violence between Hispanics and blacks because they, for whatever reason. And I think instead of focusing on that and letting that fracture develop, they're terrified of that. So it has to be 
keep everybody focused on demonizing the white man, and that way we can divide, keep everybody divided. But as soon as groups start fighting each other in your coalition, the coalition breaks down, and now you have to deal with, well, white America is now more powerful than all of our groups individually, and that's why we need to keep them together to offset the balance of power. I don't know why. But we'll see. Yeah, and, and, mm -hmm. and this is a little stupid, but I really want you to constantly say it as white men. White men? White. Yeah, actually, there's, there's a um, gentleman named Jared Taylor who is a white nationalist, and he is famous for pronouncing it as white. And it is often memed upon the internet as white men. H-U-W-H-I-T-E. And actually, his defense for it is uh, no, uh, it's pronounced W-H. We don't say, we don't say, uh, it's, it's weather, not weather. And so it's white and not white. Anyway, I, I thought that was a, that was pretty funny when I heard the, that's why, he, uh, it's referred to that, that way. Really? That's funny. Yeah. He's like, no, linguistically, the W-H produces, produces this, the W-H-I produces this sound and saying white without the, uh, pronouncing the H which is wrong and I was like huh that's that, I, th I thought that was a pretty funny from a linguistic <laughs> perspective that he pronounces it essentially what sounds wrong he's like no no that's right and that's how English works <laughs> no I hate that <laughs> I'm not doing it <laughs> yeah <clears throat> so in a final thing um since we have basically 15 more minutes in the program here. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. Uh, I hate to break it to everyone, but um, Ukraine's no longer popular. It's not the prettiest girl. There was a new girl who transferred mm -hmm. to the high school and she's cuter and her name was Israel. And so now Ukraine has to play second fiddle to the pretty girl, but still try to remain popular. Right. So there mm -hmm. are a lot of groups that are now trying to encourage Ukraine to um, explore a peace deal with Russia. With Russia. Because Ukraine oh. never had a chance in hell, as we have clearly stated since the beginning of the war. And as that, anyone with a brain could have seen. Yeah, as anybody who's not retarded. Like, that, that was the hardest part about the entire Ukraine-Russia deal, is it's like, Guys, there's no way. There's just zero uh, unless it's unless going to happen unless additional troops get added from other countries. There's no yeah. fucking way. Well, now there are there's pressure for Israel or not for Israel. I'm sorry for Ukraine to seek a peace deal because we don't have we being the really the West, not just the United States, but the West does not have the capability of uh, sponsoring Israel and Ukraine at the same time. Man, yeah. something is tickling my nose and it's driving me insane. Anyway, that's crazy. But the funny part about it is because there's now this pressure happening, you're seeing Zelensky attempt to tie Russia to Hamas. Well, he is Jewish, so I can see how that would make sense to him. 
But I mean, like directly, he's trying to claim that basically Russia sponsored Hamas. Like this, this is a thing. So it's, it's, it's sad. It's sad to watch because what you're seeing is a guy try to remain relevant because now, I mean, to be honest, like he's in a hell of a position. Like he went all in. uh, He did everything the West told him to. And now the West is going to be like, yeah, you should probably broker a peace deal, which basically means he's right. probably screwed. I mean, right. so granted, he's got a millions dollar condo or something in Miami. So Yeah, he's got like a $10 million home in Florida for some reason. Uh, it was released this week that people in the Biden administration were encouraging or were floating the possibility of encouraging Ukraine to seek some sort of treaty with Russia, which or ceasefire with Russia. And the thing is, but calling for a ceasefire Russia is anti-Semitic. Right. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine and Russia had a treaty that they were both about to agree to in May of 2022. Yeah. In May of 2022, both parties had agreed to a treaty that would have ended the war right then and there. And then U.S. and U.K. pressure force pushed Ukraine to abandon stopping the war in order to continue it. Mm-hmm. And now what's the end result? Lots of dead Ukrainians, billions of dollars burned up into thin air. The lines on the map haven't really changed since then. If anything, Russia's taken more territory since that attempt at a treaty ceasefire end of the conflict in May of 2022. Mm-hmm. It's only been, it's and everyone, and I'm just looking at this going, what was all this for? This was all for nothing. The, the point was never for Ukraine to win. The point was to, at best, by the U.S. empire's metric, was at best to kill a bunch of Russian soldiers and destroy a bunch of Russian equipment. But in the end, it essentially just depleted all of our Western stockpiles of our some of our most precious, difficult-to-produce weaponry for absolutely no gain. And now we're sitting here going, what, what if... Let's say Israel was invaded by by Arab countries. Let's say Egypt, Jordan, Syria all invade Israel, along with Iran even, to avenge their Muslim brothers in Gaza. Right. That's not outside the realm of possibility. That is why we have three carriers and an entire Marine amphibious assault group sitting off the Israeli coast to essentially ward off any Arab, all the Arab countries who might want to jump into this conflict. Let's say they actually do that. Do we have enough cruise missiles or do we give them all to Ukraine? Do we have enough artillery shells or do we give them all to Ukraine? Do we have enough stinger missiles or do we give them all to Ukraine? Do we have enough javelins to arm Israel with or do we give them all to Ukraine? What happens if at the same time China goes, you know what, we're taking Taiwan. Do we have enough weapons in us in our stockpiles? Or have we depleted those stockpiles so much that we are suddenly in a very a relatively weak military military position? At least weak enough that our uh, opponents on the global stage might try something, and if they did, we, it might not go as well as we would like. This has been my contention about Ukraine the whole time, is that the, it seemed extremely unwise to waste such huge amounts of our military stockpile in Ukraine without a good set of goals or reason. And at the same time, because we, our country has been run by traders for the last 50 years, all most of our domestic industry is at a point where we are highly strained in refilling our own stockpiles. There's like one plant in the United States anymore that produces high explosives for the military. Only one. 
Think of the, the amount of artillery shells we can produce is nowhere near enough to maintain a, the war in Ukraine, which is a relatively limited war on a relatively small scale. We can't right. produce enough. We, it's going to take another something like five years to retool up a factory to produce Stinger anti-air missiles. Same with Javelins. Like these things, we, we have gotten rid of so much of our industrial base that the idea that we can scale things back up again, like in World War II, to become this industrial superpower overnight, that no longer applies. It, would, it is a cost <clears throat> of years to get us to that point because we have dismantled so much of our industrial capacity. And secondarily, we've dismantled the experienced and skilled workforce that could be expanded. It's like if you had a military much like the U.S. military, hilariously, and it got rid of most of its combat-experienced officers and NCO Corps, trying to expand that military back up to be an effective fighting force, you no longer have the high the core ex- of highly experienced veterans to be able to expand it back up to an effective fighting force. You're starting from scratch, and that's what we're doing with American industries. We're essentially starting much more from scratch than we were, say, in World War II. And I think the people in charge have this, or a lot of people have this misconception that overnight we could ramp everything back up. You just can't do that. We've dismantled our shipyards. So now we can only, we can produce one-tenth of the tonnage of ships that China can produce. We've dismantled most, a lot of our steel industry. So we can't just start making tanks on a massive scale. We can't do anything on a massive scale because it was expedient to let those industries die. Anyway, that's all to say, I think that Ukraine was a big misstep because now we're in a position where if the world becomes a bit more chaotic, we don't have the stockpiles of money, arms and troops that we should have maintained has been frivolously expended. And we are now in a position where things that shouldn't have been a problem might become a lot more desperate. We might suddenly realize we actually can't intervene in this or we can't do this. And we have this these limits now imposed on the American response to world crises because we've neglected our own garden. Well, yeah, and that's the um, <clears throat> that that was that's been my kind of big expectation, too, is if if we really start dedicating more like basically if we're sitting there in Russia like with between the Russian Ukraine situation and then we start becoming more involved in Israel and Palestine i 100% guarantee that china makes a bid for taiwan because there's just there's just zero way possible there's no way like the united states would not be able to survive trying to handle a third front it's just right. it's just yeah. impossible we don't have it in us we, we are we are absolutely depleted and so china would take advantage of that and just be like fuck it we're on one we're gonna finally so- we're gonna solve our issue and i go back to my original statement which is this is all the fault like all of these progressives, the same people who whine and cry about all of this, all of this nonsense, you know, about, you know, all of these different, you know, countries, whether it's Ukraine, whether it's Taiwan, whether it's, you know, Israel and Palestine, you all are getting what you voted for. This shit show that you're dealing with is your fault. We warned you the entire time. Yeah, because we I think that's a really good point. Yeah, we knew this was going to happen. We we knew mm-hmm. and and this is something that is 
to be completely honest, it's inherently right wing now. We have consistently discussed, especially especially on the people that are uh, th- that are you know nationalist or, or populist, however however you want to frame it. We have regularly discussed the fact that there is an absolute obsession with the defense industrial complex being uh, mm-hmm. basically a money laundering scheme, primarily for groups like the Democrats. And yeah, it's, I don't know, it is absolutely asinine to deal with. Because mm-hmm. it, and it's one of those things where it's like, no, you get what you vote for. Like, I shouldn't have to suffer for this. This is your problem, not mine. Right. And I think that as what we're seeing, one of the things is, oh, all of these Muslims came to the United States. They didn't integrate. They kept their same cultures. And now we're all upset about it. We can look at this and say the right wing absolutely predicted this, was absolutely correct on it. And let's say not even say the right wing. Let's even say that this goes so far as to say the alt, the scary alt right who has been anti-immigration. And ever since the mid 2000s, there has been this group of people that have basically been saying you can't import large groups of Muslims into Western countries without causing very serious negative consequences. Those people were absolutely right. They've been absolutely vindicated and they were right the whole time. And they were shut up, silenced, and censored by the powers that be, by the government and the media. And I think that they, and I think that that is a very, that's a very good point to make right now, is to look at it and say, the left was absolutely wrong on Muslim immigration, and the right was absolutely correct. And that is impossible to ignore if for, for anyone that's upset about Hamas, anyone that's upset about these pro-Palestinian protests. We don't like seeing it. Well, we have to admit the right was correct on immigration. And that's a good position for us to be in. Never going to happen. Ah, but the thing is, it is it has happened. No, I mean, well, wait, them acknowledging? Oh, no. The thing is, they might not acknowledge it, but they know it's true. Oh, well, no, that's true. Yeah. Like, yeah. It might not be openly acknowledged, but it's impossible to recognize anything other than the right was correct on this point. And that's a big chink in the armor of, I guess, the whole leftist machine. Yeah. For some reason, Colleen says, yes and no, I never voted Biden. Well, yeah, you. Uh, well, I guess that's the whole, I guess that's part of it, too, is like we all end up having to suffer, right? Like, it's not really fair for us to have to mm-hmm. suffer what these idiots do. I, well, I mean, I guess that's it is like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, and maybe maybe that has to be part of the litmus test is like, hey, we need to send people to war. OK, but only Democrats. Because I didn't vote for this mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if there's been talk about reinstating the draft, I don't see it as possible. But man, if they tried I don't think that would go very well. I think a lot. Of, I think they'd have a real big problem on their hands. Well, I mean, to be honest, I think they're going to have to. Maybe, but uh, it's. I, and I think they actually, honestly, I kind of would hope they do. Wouldn't that be fantastic? They try and reinstate the draft. Imagine a better, any a more radicalizing thing. Well, it's like nobody's going to go for it. If they're like, going to do the, something like the, that, it's going to be for Israel. 
Oh, for sure. But then who's going to who's going to let themselves get drafted? Well, like, see that that's why I can't, yeah. that's why Democrats really liked war is because it sent Republican children to die. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, it's it, it, it sent all these Republicans to go die, and you know, so it was okay. But now they're having a recruiting crisis, mm-hmm. so it's like, like who oh, are you no. going to recruit? Are you going to recruit like? How's what's the optics on we drafted a bunch of black men and forced them off to war? Uh, that's not going to go over well. Like, oh, we have like, oh, if you're Muslim, are you exempt from the draft to go fight in the Middle East now? Because you almost would have to do that. Like I said, I, we, we're in a very the U.S. is in a very interesting position on the world stage. And if I was the enemies of the United States, I would look at the United States and go, oh, my gosh, they're so there's no they're weaker now than they have been in a very long time like yeah. sure we still have a very effective military but it's it is definitely weaker now than it has been in a very long time and that is something that i don't see the biden administration capable of fixing because its worldview on america and its population is so wrong that it can't actually make any moves that are right yeah no you're absolutely correct um but that's gonna have to be it for our show this week of course there's always more that's going to happen and if you guys want to keep in the know and get stuff more immediately you can become a subscriber by going to subscribestar.com forward slash wrong think radio and for 2.99 a month you'll get access to our subscription platforms to include our discord where obviously there's conversations happening all day every day and sharing of our hilarious tweet exchanges and things like that so you can always stay up to date and ask your questions and as always be sure to share this out with everybody so they can also uh, get a load of this and uh, this will publish as a podcast a little bit later today so if you didn't catch all of the program you can get it there on any podcasting device just look for wrong think radio but i'm aaron from the east coast i'm alan from the west coast and this is wrong think radio See you all next week.